I've got to stop spending so much money. That's what I told Michael yesterday or the day before. But it's summer. And I like to say yes to things. I like to say yes to $3 ice creams or appetizers or that special drink while eating out or that really nice cut of meat or fish that goes along with those amazing vegetables that came off the vine just yesterday. I mean, seriously, when do we have the chance to sit down for two hours with friends or family and just enjoy it? I like to say yes. I like to say yes to horseback riding or go-karts or the movie that just came out or the book from the bookstore because we're on vacation and where is there a library and plus we have time to read so I like to say yes but it adds up after a while and I'm not sure how to stop myself from saying yes for the abundance of it all is what's there to be enjoyed it has occurred to me on several occasions, as I have listened to wise teachers in faith over the many years, that God is yes. God has been yes from the beginning. From the story of creation and throughout the scriptures, we see God's yes over and over and over again. If you step out here after worship today, you will see a million trillion yeses and all the things that grow and respond and are created in this world that you didn't give any thought to whatsoever. They're there for your engagement, your opportunity to delight in what God has created. God is yes. But God also has the capacity to say no. God's no is born from the power of the yes, and so the no is made evident in that which destroys the yes. No is to evil. And I think evil can best be described as that which destroys creation and thus perverts our remembering who we are in relationship to God. Evil is easier to suss out in lived experience than in making a list. But it most definitely exists, and God has no space for that. God's yes diminishes it. Our gospel lesson today is in the middle of um, Straddle's two pericopes. Now, not to use all this um, Bible language and stuff on you, but I'll give you a quick definition of what a pericope is. It's a portion of scripture with a beginning and end, and often in the scriptures you'll see it um, clearly noted because there'll be a space between each pericope. In some Bibles, there's a title at the top of a pericope. A pericope is one unit of scripture, and scholars over the years have determined what those are in numerous ways. Sometimes it's in the, the, the way the language is used and its consistency in that particular portion. Sometimes it's in relationship to the fact that the same story is told in other gospels, and also they notice where the demarcations are. But today's gospel lesson today straddles two of them. It's at the end of one pericope and the start of another, and biblical scholars would say, uh-uh, you can't do that. You've got to take the whole bit. But our lectionary creators 
some time ago recognized that probably we would go a little impatient to hear verses, uh, chapter 12, verses 22 through 48. It's a long piece, and there are two pericopes. I want to share with you the first pericope, of which the start of our gospel lesson today is the end. The, the first pericope is the one where Jesus is telling his disciples not to worry about what they eat or what they drink. It's one you've heard before, and because it is in other gospel lessons than in, by gospel writers, then it's, it's familiar to you, and maybe that's why the lectionary creators didn't bother to start us off at the beginning. But I want to start us off at the beginning. This first pericope, I want to read from the message, which is Eugene Peterson's um, updated language interpretation of the scriptures. And I think you'll recognize the scriptures, but you'll hear them a little bit differently. In this first one, Jesus says, he continued his subject with his disciples. Don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or if the clothes in your closet are in fashion. There is far more to your inner life than the food you put in your stomach, more to your outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. Look at the ravens, free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description, carefree in the care of God, and you count far more. Has anyone by fussing before the mirror ever gotten taller by so much as an inch? If fussing can't even do that, why fuss at all? Walk into the fields and look at the wildflowers. They don't fuss with their appearance. But have you ever seen color and design quite like it? The 10 best dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside them. If God gives such attention to the wildflowers, most of them never even seen, don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you? What I'm trying to do here is get to get you to relax, not to be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things, but you know both God and how he works. Steep yourself in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Don't be afraid of missing out. You're my dearest friends. The Father wants to give you the very kingdom himself. Be generous. Give to the poor. Get yourselves a bank that, that can't go bankrupt, a bank in heaven far from bank robbers, safe from embezzlers, a bank you can bank on. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is is the place you will most want to be and end up being. God is a yes. We hear it reiterated yet again and again and again how God provides for us and all that we need. And we don't need to worry because of God's provision. But it's only when we steep ourselves in God's reality that we begin to trust and grow in that trust. It's not something we can do of our own strength. It's God who gives us the power to trust in him. I think it's difficult to generate my own yes to God. It comes most easily when we put our trust in God's yes, when we see it through God's eyes. That's when we're able to say yes in response to God's yes.
So that's the first pericope, learning to steep ourselves in God's reality. And the second comes with what that looks like. As you saw in our gospel lesson today, we're, we're encouraged and actually um, told to be alert and ready for his arrival. And so Jesus goes on to teach, and again, I'll return to this passage as written in the message. Keep your shirts on. Keep the lights on. Be like house servants waiting for their master to come back from his honeymoon, awake and ready to open the door when he arrives and knocks. Lucky the servants whom the master finds on watch. He'll put on an apron, sit them at the table, and serve them a meal, sharing his wedding feast with them. It doesn't matter what time of the night he arrives, they're awake and so blessed. You know that if the house owner had known what night the burglar was coming, he wouldn't have stayed out late and left the place unlocked. So don't you be slovenly and careless. Just when you don't expect him, the Son of Man will show up. This is the message translation of the portion at the end of our gospel this morning. You know, I can relate to the slovenly man, the careless one. I know that feeling of saying, you know what, it's probably fine. Don't worry about it. Let's just go on with what we want to do. I've had that feeling, and maybe that's why I was saying to Michael the other day, I've got to quit spending money, because I know what it feels like to not care and the freedom that I believe is there in the not caring. But my friends, that's a false sense of freedom. In the portion of this pericope that we don't read today, Peter asks Jesus who he's teaching. He says, Master, are you telling this story just for us, or is it for everybody? And Jesus tells yet another parable, but ends this portion with these words. The servant who knows what his master wants and ignores it, or insolently does whatever he pleases, will be thoroughly thrashed. But if he does a poor job through ignorance, he'll get off with a slap on the hand. Great gifts mean great responsibilities. Greater gifts, greater responsibilities. We might interpret responsibilities as a burden, but that's when we fail to recognize what God is giving to us. All that God is giving to us, providing for us as his creation. On Friday, Michael and I and Millicent went up to Boston to see the Downton Abbey exhibition. Gabe happens to be working there this summer as a docent, and so we got to get in on his uh, employee discount. And it was a fun journey through. I'd forgotten how much I liked that show and the various characters there. And at the end, they have this little um, responsive screen where you can click and answer buttons to find out what kind of house servant you might be. And um, you supposedly apply at the end of it to serve in Downton a at Downton Abbey. So as it's posting little questions from which to choose, I found myself always answering in the way that the person I was serving would want me to answer. And because of that, I was recommended for a lady's maid. And if you recall from that show, there was a lot of, yes, my lady, yes, my lady. The task of the lady's maid is to serve the lady. 
and the lady is always right. And if there's a question as to whether or not she is right, it is asked with great deference and a willingness to hear the rightness again. So it is with that that I lay my eyes on our stories for today. And Jesus' instruction that we serve him with reckless abandonment in our yes. That yes is our answer. That is the answer. That's the only answer. And we are encouraged through scripture and as we read in Hebrews today to remember all of those that said yes, even though it seemed like a ridiculous answer. Abraham said yes to God even in his old age. Sarah said yes to God even in her barrenness. Moses said yes to God even with his tainted history and his inability to speak. Ruth said yes to God even when she didn't know what land she would be entering. Hannah said yes to God when she had the child she finally longed for. And those are just a few from the Old Testament. When we go to the New Testament, we see more yeses. Mary's yes, which was the yes that liberated us all. Elizabeth's yes to the child that was growing in her, in her barrenness. John the Baptist's yes as he stood out in the wilderness and baptized people. Peter's yes after the resurrection and even in following Jesus up until his death. Paul's yes, even though he was known to be a murderer. Yes is the answer. And in order to live into that yes, we have to know what God wants. And the only way we can do that is by steeping ourselves in God. This is a regular practice. We don't have the strength to adhere to the yes without God's strength living in us. And so on a daily, and, and daily opportunities and sometimes multiple, multiple times during the day, I know for me it's multiple times during the day, I return to God to sit in God's yes, to tune my he- ear and to pace my heart to what God wants to do in this world. When the time comes for our judgment, you and I know that we don't get to ask for the level of test we would like to be given. It is the judge that tells us of the parameters. And we want to be found as those who have said yes to God's work in the world through Jesus, empowered through the Holy Spirit. God promises us that we will feel and experience the provisions of his yes even now. Amen.